Good morning. It's good to be with each of you today. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And we're going to just work our way through that chapter here in just a moment. Delighted you're with us. We want to welcome our guests today. Thankful you could be with us. We're thankful that we all remember to roll our clocks back. You know, you can roll your clocks back, but one thing you can't do is go back. And there's times in your life you sometimes wish I could go, I wish I could go back and do that again. Or I wish I could go back and not say what I said back then. There's lots of things like that in life. But we're thankful for Jesus that he can forgive us. And we're thankful that Jesus can change our past. He can forgive us of the wrongs that we've done. That's why we've come this morning to bow our heads before him and to honor him as the Lord, as the King, and as our Savior about these things. This morning we're going to look at a word. It's a very simple word. It's a word that is used oftentimes in a lot of different places. It asks a question. It's about time. It's about seeking some information. And that word we're going to look at is the word when. You know, children will ask that. When is Christmas? Moms and dads are thinking, oh, about 200 years from now. When are we going to get there, they say on the road trip. Moms and dads sometimes wonder, when are my kids going to get it? School teachers may ask, when are my students going to take these things seriously? Sometimes shepherds will ask, when will someone step up and really do what they ought to do? When will I be able to retire? When will I get the house paid off? You might be thinking, when will this sermon ever end? Lots of times we ask this word, when. Shania Twain has a song that's entitled, When. It's about breaking up with somebody and trying to get back together. Her song says, if elephants could fly, I'd be more optimistic. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't mean to seem pessimistic, but I don't think that cow really jumped over the moon. When will I wake up? Why did we break up? When will we make up? When money grows on trees, people live in peace, everyone agrees. When happiness is free, love can be guaranteed, you'll come back to me, that's when. I'd love to wake up with a smiling face full of joys of spring and hear on CNN that Elvis lives again, that John's back with the Beatles and they're going on tour. I'd be first in line to buy the tickets, got to see that for sure. When? And this morning in the book of Mark, chapter 13, we're going to see a time when the disciples asked Jesus that very question, when? And we're going to kind of walk through that this morning and look at several things. When you look at Mark 13, there's really three major sections here we need to talk about. We're going to see that there's a time when Jesus is going to mention some things, and he says, this is not a sign. And we'll go back and talk about that in a moment. Then he'll tell them another section where there is a sign. You need to pay attention to this. And then another section will tell them there won't be a sign, and you just need to be ready. And so the chapter begins in Mark 13 with verse 1. As he's going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. The temple was an amazing structure. It was massive. It was huge. It was beautiful. And so Jesus had been in the temple teaching, and as they leave, they just point out, isn't this a fantastic building? You and I might have been in places like that before where we've seen some great artwork, great architecture, and we point this out. Well, Jesus then says to them in the very next verse, 
He says to them, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now that's earth-shaking to them. And Jesus does not tell them how it's going to happen. Is there going to be a storm? Is there going to be an earthquake? Is there going to be an evasion? The temple sat in the middle of the city. If the temple falls apart, what about the rest of the city? And what Jesus here was declaring in the radical statement was that the temple was about to be destroyed. Now, we look at this historically and say it's a sad day, sad it had to happen. But biblically for those people, that was the center of their religion. It was the temple where they would go three times a year to worship God. It was the temple where the Holy of Holies was entered by the high priest. It was the temple where prayers and sacrifices were being made. And Jesus is now telling them the temple is going to be no more. And so in the very next verse, as they leave that area and go to the Mount of Olives, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were questioning him privately, saying, Tell us when. There's our word. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of all these things going to be fulfilled. What are their thinking? What's in their mind? Their mind is not about the world. Their mind's not saying, well, when is the earth going to blow up? That's not the questions. What Jesus said is your fantastic building is going to come down. When is that going to take place? What's the sign of that? And so from that, Jesus reveals that there will be a sign. On the screen there, there's a picture from an arch in Rome. And what you see is the Roman soldiers carrying away articles from the temple. In the year 70 A.D., the Roman Empire entered into Jerusalem. They knocked down the walls. They destroyed the temple. They ransacked it and brought articles back to Rome. This is what Jesus has in mind. So in verse 14 of our chapter, Jesus tells them, you want to know when this will be? What is a sign of this taking place? I will tell you. He says in verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. That's when this takes place. Luke tells it this way. Luke says in chapter 21, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you recognize our desolation is near. When? Here's when. What's the sign? Here's the sign. And so what Jesus goes on to tell them, and, and, and what he does is he's borrowing from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel in this great chapter, chapter 9, where he talks about all these weeks. He says that there will be seven weeks and one week in the middle of the week. There will come a stop of sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed to pour out on the one who makes desolate. It's a few chapters later. Forces from him will arise and desecrate the sanctuary. Fortresses will do away with a regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Same language in Mark 13. What happened in the book of Daniel that Daniel was pointing to was a time when Antiochus went into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, went in where the altar was, and offered a pig as a sacrifice, something that was a slap in the Jewish face. Jesus borrows that same expression way back in the Old Testament time and applies it to this time. You see this great building, he says, a time is coming when not one stone will be upon another. When's that happening? What's the sign? 
when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the city surrounded. And so when you go back to Mark 13, the word here is to flee. Notice what it says here, for instance, in verse 15. He says, for instance, in verse 15, let the one on the housetop not go down and, and to enter in and get anything out of the house. When you're on the house, you're, you're maybe doing some work on the top of your house. You see the troops coming. You see the smoke arising, all the dust from the Roman army coming. Don't go in your house and get your stuff. Run. Run. Because desolation is coming. He would say in verse 16, if you're out in the field, don't go home and get your coat. Why? Because desolation is coming. It's going to be tough on young families. Woe to those who are nursing children. Why? Because it's hard to run. you got little ones you got to bring along. We've got to run for our lives because what is happening. He says in verse 18, pray this does not happen on the, in the wintertime because it's hard to travel and you're having to flee on your foot. And so in verse 24 of this chapter, he says, but in those days, what days? The days we're talking about. We're still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. In those days after the tribulation, it says the sun will be dark, the moon won't shine as it should. Not literally, but talking about the influence of, of the great Jewish nation will change. God was ending these things. He says in verse 29, when you see these things happening, recognize he is near right at the door. He is still talking about what happens when the temple is destroyed. In verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now once again, you and I read this and we think, Okay, just a historical fact. Happened in the year 70. For the people living in that time, it was a warning to them. Things are going to get serious here. And you need to heed the words of Jesus. It will save your life if you do what he says. Now jump into verse 32. He brings up another day. And this day has no signs. Reading verse 32, Jesus says, But of that day or hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, he says, keep on the alert that you do not know when the appointed time is. It is like a man away on a journey upon leaving his house and putting slaves in charge, assigning to each one of them a task. Also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, lest he one come suddenly and find you asleep. Now what I say to all of you is be alert. Here he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he says no one knows. No one knows. He says in verse 33, you do not know when. He says in verse 35, you do not know when. There's not going to be signs like the destruction of Jerusalem. You'll know when Jerusalem's going to fall because here's some signs. Watch for these things. But for this event, there is no signs. And so the word over and over four times in this last section is pay attention. Be alert. Be alert in the sense you're living righteously for God. Now, putting these two side by side, this is what we see in Mark 13. He talks about the fall of Jerusalem and the coming of Jesus. And what he says about the fall of Jerusalem is there are going to be signs, be things you can recognize, and you will know when this is taking place. But concerning the coming of Jesus, there are no signs. You do not know when this is going to take place.
And so in the midst of all that, right as this chapter began, he talks about another section. And in that section, he talks about wars. He talks about natural disasters. He talks about political turmoil. He talks about persecution. And these, he, as he identifies them, are not the signs, but things you need to be aware of. So notice as he says in verse 5 and verse 6, as, as he talks about error, he says, for, excuse me, in, in verse 5, he says, And Jesus began saying to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. He continues on, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. There's things that's going to happen, but that's not the end. And so don't be fooled, he says, by religious error. Jesus said it this way. They will appear as wolves in sheep clothing. Now from a distance, a sheep and a wolf may look the same if the wolf is dressed like a sheep. They may look the same. But when you get up close, you start analyzing them. You notice that one animal is not eating grass like the sheep. That one animal is a little bit taller than the sheep. And what Jesus is saying here is, now this is not the sign of the coming. This is not the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem. But I want you not to be led astray by these things. We need to see how important that is for us. In your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be back to Mark in just a moment. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 6 and 7, the apostle gives another warning here. For many among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says in verse 5 concerning these teachers, they hold a form of godliness, although they denied his powers, avoid such men as these. As we talk about these troublesome times, what Jesus says is there's going to be people saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Don't be misled. Don't be led away. There are some who are on both sides of the pulpit. Some stand off behind the pulpit, and some sit on that side of the pulpit, and they're interested in hearing something new. I want to hear something different. I want to hear something that no one has ever taught before. Show me something in the Bible that's different. And I want you to understand, after 2,000 years, there's nothing new. We need to be crying out, tell me that old, old story. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, Find men who can, be who can be taught the same thing that they have been taught. And so that's the concept here. Slick-talking Pied Pipers are those who are always trying to fool people. You ever been to the baseball game in between innings? They, they put things on the big jumbotron just to kind of keep you entertained. And every once in a while, there's this baseball hat. There's three of them. And there's a baseball underneath one of those hats. And then those hats shift around just like this, you know, and you're kind of going like this, and, and then you got to guess which one has the baseball. That's how some people preach. And when you're done, you're so confused. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know what God says. You don't know what God doesn't say. And when we look in our Bibles, what we notice is clear understanding of what God says. 
Wrong is wrong no matter who says it. Wrong is wrong no matter how many times they say it. Wrong is wrong even if we like it. Wrong is wrong even if everyone believes it. And so it behooves us to recognize God's words, to recognize what is right and what is truth. Now, when we think about the, the context of what Jesus is saying, people were coming around saying that I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. How would they know? Well, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 5. Because in John chapter 5, Jesus runs through a quick series of evidence, testimonies, people who would identify how you know who the real Christ is. And he says in verse 33, you have sent to John and he has borne witness of the truth. It was John the Baptist who says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So when he's John, he come lately shows up and says, I am the Christ, I am the prophesied one. Did John the Baptist ever testify of you? Verse 36 of the same chapter. The works that I do, talking about miracles, those works testify of me. Do these people do miracles? And then verse 37, the Father spoke from heaven regarding Jesus. This is my beloved son, he says at the baptism. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, he said at the transfiguration. Did the Father ever say that about these others? And then did they fulfill prophecy as Jesus did? You see, the greatest tool you have is truth. And that's why the Bible teaches us to know the will of God. Ephesians 5, verse 17. That's why we see examples like Acts 17, verse 11. They search the scriptures daily. And so as Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and telling them this, this news they'd never heard before, that their beloved city was about to fall, here's a warning. There's going to be people coming around telling you things. And they're not right. Don't be misled by those things. Second thing he says back in Mark 13 is regarding political turmoil. Do not be upset. Look what it says in verse 7, the first part of verse 8. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, stop there for a minute. Who makes wars? Kings, authorities, presidents. They're the ones who make the wars. It's the young men and the young women who have to go off and fight the wars. So he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And again, he's emphasizing these are not the signs you are to look for. Things we need to recognize as we understand that these things can frighten us and they can alarm us. But these are not the signs that God has before us. And how fitting it is, as Brother Goldman said a while ago, few days right before a major election. And all the hype. This is the election of this generation that's being called. This is the most important election, they're saying. I heard that about the last election. They'll probably say that again about the next election. And, and, and all the energy people. Now come Tuesday night, come Wednesday morning, there's going to be some people who are really happy. There's going to be some people really sad. There's going to be some people who may make the wrong choices because they get too caught up in some of these things. And there'll be some who claim that this was stolen. Some will claim someone cheated. They'll claim that this is not right. And they forget the emphasis that Jesus is saying here in the midst of political turmoil. Do not be upset. Our moods, our attitudes, all those things are chosen by us. 
In the book of Psalms, chapter 47, God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. First, last, middle, we are disciples of Jesus. Before we are Americans, before we are Hoosiers, or from the Commonwealth of Kentucky, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That comes before all things, and we need to remember that. In this time when everyone's concerned about red and blue, left and right, let us not forget up and down. And what Jesus is warning his disciples, yeah, there's going to be wars, and you're going to hear about wars starting up, and there's going to be rumors that there may be a war. Don't be alarmed. Don't be upset. Third thing he tells them, again from verse 8, Regarding natural calamities, he says, don't be shocked by these things. As after he talks about nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. This is not the sign of his coming. This is not the sign of the fall of Jerusalem. These things simply will happen. And we know that biblically. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. Later on, the Apostle Paul is in prison, and there's an earthquake, and he's allowed to get out of that prison. We know that there was a big earthquake in the year 62 at Pompeii and destroyed the entire city there. And so there have been earthquakes. There will be earthquakes. There are famines. And Acts chapter 11 talks about how there was a famine during the days of Claudius. And all of that reminds us that this world is broken, and we need to be mindful of that. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, Notice what the apostle says there in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. He says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The world as the people of the world are broken. So there's going to be floods and famines and volcanoes and hurricanes and tornadoes and hail damage. And all these things, that's just part of the broken world that we live in. Jesus is telling them, don't think this is it. Don't get excited about that. And running through your mind, you ought to be thinking about how many of these Mega preachers today use these things to scare the audience to think that this is signs of the second coming. Look what Korea did this past week. Look where Russia is this week. Look what happened over here. Look what happened over there. And what Jesus is telling his disciples, no, this is not the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem. And there will be no signs when I come. And then the fourth thing he tells us in this section here. He tells us that regarding opposition, do not be surprised. And so, again, when we look at the context here, begin at verse 9 of Mark chapter 13. He says, 
But be on guard, for they will deliver you up to the courts, and you'll be flogged in the synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my name's sake, and as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached in all the nations. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you're to say or whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and calls them to be put to death and you will be hated by all on account of my name but is the one who's endured to the end who will be saved give me some dark days he tells them some of you are going to be standing before counselors some of you are going to be going to jail some of you will witness can you imagine this your own family i'm going to turn in dear old dad because he doesn't because he believes in jesus my very kids, because they follow Jesus, I'm going to turn them in knowing that they may be put to death. What Jesus is saying here, these are not signs. Simply do not be surprised. Peter would use that same language in 1 Peter 4, verse 2. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal about which is about to come upon you, for you're testing as though you're some strange things were happening to you. Jesus had told his disciples all along that you will be hated. You people will ignore you. They will avoid you. They may not invite you. They may not like you because of your faith. Don't be surprised. Now, when we run through this list here, this is what we see. Religious error, political turmoil, natural calamities, opposition. That was the list Jesus ran through. And over and over, he's telling them, this is not the sign of the second coming. There are no signs of my coming back. But what we notice in this is we cannot control what happens around us. We can't stop wars. We can't stop natural disasters. We're not Moses that can stand up there and part seas. We're not Jesus who can calm a storm. We can't happen to all these things around us, but what we certainly can control is what happens in us. Our attitude, our language, our moods, our faith, all these things, what Jesus is pointing out, should not impact us as disciples of Jesus. And right here is when we got to stop and wonder about that. Because sometimes it's this list that messes us up. Sometimes it's this list that causes us up to say, you know what, I don't know anymore. I can't worship anymore. It's because of this list that we begin to wonder, well, why didn't God stop these things? Over and over, what Jesus is saying is, don't be shocked, don't be surprised. These things are going to happen. Now, what's going to happen to you? And so that's the interesting thing about Mark 13. You know, there's another win we didn't talk about in this lesson. It's one that always looms in the back of our minds. When is my appointment with God? Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed a man wants to die. We all know that. We know that passage. And we often wonder, how long do I have? Do I have another year? Do I have another 10 years? What do I have? And the Lord doesn't tell us that. What the Lord wants us to do is to follow him and be what he wants us to be. In the British Museum, there's an old map that was made in 1525. And it's a map of North America as it was known back then. And they have the coastline of North America. But 
a lot of America had not been discovered yet. And so on the map, they would write down land of giants, land of demons, land of who knows, the unknown. And many years later, another British explorer came across that map late in the 1800s much after America had been discovered and things were going well in this country, he took a hold of that old map and he crossed out all those words. And he wrote in big letters, this is the land of God. And that's what we need to see. I think what Jesus was telling his disciples is there's lots of things out there that can scare us. There's lots of things that can frighten us. There's a lot of things out there that's just beyond our control. We have nothing we can do with these things. But what you can do is have faith in him. Your faith in him makes all the difference in the world. And that's what we're trying to see in this lesson today. And there's one other win we need to talk about. When will you be baptized for remission of your sins? We've got several who've been in this assembly who've been coming here for a long, long time. And the question is, when? heard Jason preach time and time again. You've heard me preach time and time again. You know that Jesus wants you to go to heaven. But you know that you have a past. You know your past is what's going to trip you. You know there's times when you weren't where you should have been. You know the times you said things you shouldn't have said. There's thoughts you've had that you know is just not right. The Bible calls those sins. And those sins are going to keep you from the holy heaven of God. Heaven will never be sacked by Romans. Heaven will never be turned over like those stones Jesus was talking about. Heaven is a secure place, and God of heaven wants you to be in heaven. But it's up to us. And the question is, when? How many more sermons do I have to hear? How many more songs do we need to sing? How many times do I need to go to the doctor and pass that test? But one of these days I won't pass that test. How many, tire, how many scares will I have in my car when, man, I almost got hit? Someday I may get hit. Someday we know it's going to be our last day. And so when? When am I going to get right with God? When am I going to take this serious? When am I going to realize, as Jesus was telling his disciples, you know, follow me, but guess what? There's going to be wars. Follow me, and guess what? People are going to hate you. Follow me, guess what? There's going to be natural disasters. I'm not going to keep you from earthquakes. I'm not going to keep you from famines. But what I'm going to keep you from is Satan. And where I'm going to put you is in heaven if you follow me. And that's the words of the gospel. And so what a simple, simple little word, when. They were interested about a building. Jesus was interested about faith. They were interested in how long and how tall that big old building was. Jesus didn't care about that building. What he cared about was what was in their hearts. Don't be scared by all these things. Don't be chasing these wild rumors. Stick to what the Bible says and what God wants you to do. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, it's time to become one by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized because Jesus said that. He died for that reason. So you don't have to live with sins. Your past can be changed. Just as we rolled our clocks back last night, I don't think anybody got up at 2 in the morning and rolled the clocks back. Most of us did before we went to bed. You rolled that clock back. The God of heaven can roll back some things you did in your life. And when he looks at your life, yeah, you remember them. 
remember saying those things. I, I, used to, I used to talk under my breath a lot to my mama. You know, people used to say, did anybody preach in your family? I said, my mama did. She always preached to me. I didn't listen to it half the time. And she'd tell me stuff. And when she got mad at me, out came the middle name, Roger Lee. And I was mumbling and grumbling and thinking things I shouldn't have thought about, saying some things she couldn't hear, but I could hear them, and I know someone else that could hear them. And sometimes you look at your life and say, you know what, I wish I could go on back. That was dumb. I wish I hadn't done that stuff. But you can't go back. But when the God of heaven looks at your life, yeah, I still remember saying those things. But the God of heaven says, I don't, because I forgave you. They're gone. There were times when I was in college, did some things I shouldn't have done in college. Man, I still remember them. God of heaven says, I'm looking at your life. I don't see him anymore. Why? Because he forgave me. That's what forgiveness is. It's a new page. It's a new past. It's a new future. And that's why we preach Jesus here. That's why we need to see how important that is. So this morning, if you're subject in any way, isn't now a good time? Won't you do it now? Thank you so much. As you come forward, let's sing the song.